So I want to start with a question that somebody emailed to us to us a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, bless their hearts. Uh, they want to know my, I, I don't mean to laugh because, but you know how life, life is funny sometimes uh, when it's over. Someday you will laugh about this. Not this week though. Uh, my almost six-year-old son is verbal and fully independent with his toileting. Woohoo, right? He is going through a stage of putting things in the toilet, especially expensive electronics. Uh, I believe it is basically sending a uh, screw you message uh, to me because he can tell that I get angry when he does it. This is because uh, his the, the behavior occurs when I put limits or demands on him. I love how you're noticing that that's when it happens. I don't know what to do and we have just moved into a two-story house with three, count them, three toilets. I've thought of toilet locks but he usually takes himself to the toilet and he is probably old enough to undo them. I'm going to limit access as much as possible but I have an older 10-year-old who has iPods, DS consoles, etc. I've tried punishment by taking away favorite items for a time, but every lapse is very expensive. I just want it to stop. Also, he actually loves playing with iPods, DS games, etc. So taking away these items will be punishing him, so I'll do that too. What else can I do? Okay. There's a lot of different parts to this. Yes, I'm going to let you have the email so that you can okay so this is a six-year-old and he's fully independent with toileting so he's going through a stage of putting objects in the toilet especially so it says especially expensive electrical items does he if he i don't know if he throws away other objects as well or just electrical objects um i would you know this this behavior the first response is in order to deal with it correctly you have to prevent it and then reteach him how to do it appropriately. So uh, anything that's, if you could put away electrical items, if you could lock the, the, the toilet, it'll at least take him a little bit longer to unlock the toilet. Um, perhaps you can lock the doors. Um, you know, in other words, do whatever you can in, in ABA, we call it blocking. So you're basically preventing the item, the object, the, the action from happening. Um, if if you if you're correct that and this is what's hard for a behavior analyst that you always need to kind of try to figure out the function of a behavior why it's happening and and the parent here is saying Tara I think is saying or that you should actually uh, he's trying to say you know whatever you and he's not very happy with the, the demands so if he's trying to do it to get your negative attention if he's trying to get back at you then what you do is you don't get angry so you just don't give him that you don't give him the the reaction that he's trying to get out of you so if he does that you're very very matter-of-fact and you're not angry about things and obviously you would um, what you're doing by the way is not punishment oh, you, it's response costs you're taking away some some things from him which is perfectly fine so continue to do continue doing exactly that when if so first you're blocking it second you're not showing a reaction third if it does happen without showing a reaction you simply go and take an item away that he really cares about and those that's the kind sort of what you should do immediately okay so that's sort of the status quo that'll okay. put things in a in a um i guess it'll stop things from getting worse right away now 
um, the main thing is now that this is what gets very hard for me when I try to give advice for kids that I don't know. Does he understand? Um, d does he connect the uh, the let's say, uh, you know, his behavior to what it causes. Does he connect, does he understand that what he's doing is bad and why is it bad? Mm -hmm. Because right now it seems to me that he doesn't really realize that his behavior is upsetting other, like it's hurting his brother perhaps, you know, and it doesn't sound like he's, he wants to upset or hurt his brother, he just wants to kind of get your attention. Right. So all of these things lead me to believe that uh, at the same time that you're not giving him attention for doing the behavior, you're trying to block the behavior, and if the behavior happens to happen, you will respond cost it. Aside from that, you need to be spending more positive attention with him. So in other words, he's trying to seek out attention. Mm -hmm. So give him attention for good behavior. So one of the things you could do potentially is um, kind of an overcorrection or it's a process, it's part of an overcorrection procedure. So you might actually want to have a bunch of, a pile of electronics and perhaps they should be useless electronics like maybe old stuff that mm -hmm. doesn't really work and just put it in a basket um, in the bathroom and actively practice with him taking these objects back to the bedroom and putting them away. Uh, in other words, reward the reverse of what he's doing. Ah. So, because the whole concept is you're taking away attention for bad behavior, you wanna make sure he understands what good behavior is yeah. and that you wanna you want to give it a lot of attention and reward. So I would say probably that's your best bet is to teach the reverse of the behavior um, to not react. A lot of times our kids are just doing things because they kind of enjoy the reaction they get out of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to block it. But the most important part of all of this is that when a child starts to try to get negative attention-seeking, um, like when they do negative attention-seeking behavior, that means they're just not getting enough attention. Mm. Now, you might be giving him a ton of attention, but from his perspective, it's just not enough. So you need to spend that one-on-one -on -one time um, you know, rewarding him for some, from some other good things. Trust me, if he gets enough attention, um, from other things, he's just, not, this is not gonna be, you know, getting you upset is not gonna be that valuable to him anymore. I, one of the reasons why I so love this is because I, I think a lot of us as parents would get one side of that and not the other. Right. And if you only do one side of it, it's not gonna be effective. But right. the, what you're talking about is making sure that you take away the attention for the thing that's happening and give it in other areas. And if we were to leave one of those out, it, it wouldn't get the job done. Right, because he's trying to get attention. Yeah. Right? So if not with this, he'll do it a different way. And the, the thing is also, you and I often talk about this, is that as parents, I know this myself, as parents we often think we can deal with things just on the fly as it's happening. Oh, and yes. You can't. <laughs> I know that you have busy, yeah. we all have busy lives and there's a lot of stuff going on, but for me it's very easy to comment on these things because everything that happens I see it as an intervention, I see it as a treatment. And I do this with my kids too. I mean, I will go and sit down and say, okay, this is a problem behavior, you know, this is what I want to change, the antecedents, these are the consequences. And I actually make it happen like yeah. good example last night i'm in bed and it's like 
past midnight and I'm thinking this is not really good my 14 year old son is gradually has now gradually gotten to the point where and it's my fault too where his bedtime has shifted to like 11.30 or something gradually, right? And it's partially because the two of us get sucked into these crazy <laughs> TV series and I never have time to do anything, you know? So I'm watching this stuff with him uh -huh. until late at night. So I thought to myself, now if I go back to him and say, you have to change this. We have to start taking your schedule back to 10 o'clock. He's a 14 year old kid in 10th grade. He's not, he's just gonna laugh at me, right? you know? <laughs> Let's be serious. He's gonna yeah. say, yeah, okay, sure mom. And then he'll go to his room and he'll still be on his computer until 12. Right. So I need to do a shaping procedure so that he doesn't really notice it. You know, good thing he's in school, you won't hear this right now. <laughs> So what I'm going to do is I'm going to five minutes each night, gradually push it back, very gradually. It'll take me, I don't know, months maybe, right. whatever, or two weeks, but it'll be a very gradual procedure. And in the mornings, of course, I'll wake him up a little tiny bit earlier. So, you know, he will adjust without necessarily even thinking about it. So a lot of times you actively have to change your life process in order to make things work. Otherwise, it just becomes too difficult and like something like this, I can understand, you know, I can just see it. He takes electronics, throws it in the bathroom, sibling gets upset, mom's dealing with all of that. And right. That's just terrible. It's very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. But to the child, yeah. there's an element of it that's, that's a, there's a paycheck. Right, right. Uh, so very, very right. interesting. And, I mean, and he might have other reasons. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important if you have a behaviorist in your life, it would be good to do a functional analysis. See, maybe he's not doing it just to get you upset. Maybe he likes the sound of electronics in water. I don't know. I, you know, the, the famous story in our family was that uh, when my sister and my brother and I were little, somebody gave us a bunch of teeny tiny little perfume bottles. Yeah. And our favorite thing in the world was to flush them down the toilet. Are you serious? I'm serious. And, and it's a famous story in my family because my father, you know, after the second time fixing the toilet and the plumber said, why are there 12 little, little bottles of perf perfume yeah. caught in the, the thing? My father's head came off and flew around the room and he forbid all of us to do it. And of course, I, I think it was my brother who went in and just got caught flushing them down. I have no idea to this day. I remember doing it yeah. and it was fun. It was like yeah. theater. Yeah. We stood there and watched it swirl and go down. I couldn't tell you more <laughs> about it, but you know, all three see, of us found see, it enthralling. Uh, but, and perhaps Perhaps for different reasons. Like yeah. perhaps you watched it go down in a circle and you thought that's fascinating, but your brother perhaps even increased his behavior when your dad got mad because his thing was control. Right. Like I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want to, you know, who knows? We all have yeah. different reasons. And and it wasn't as expensive. It was a gift, these little bottles of perfume, but it was yeah. expensive when the plumber came. Yes. Uh, so anyway, bless your heart. Uh, yeah. and, and we also sent you a message saying, you know, look in see whether your homeowner's insurance will cover any of the cost right. of the electronics that you've lost. Um, but right. uh, let, write us back and let us know how it works for you, uh, trying to give more attention in other areas and blocking the behavior. We'd love to hear back from you. And, and one final thing I just quickly read is mm -hmm. that since you know that this behavior seems to increase when you place demands on him, so he's trying to avoid the demands, of this, which is more important probably. Just make sure he can't avoid the demands. Just make sure that when you do place demands on him, perhaps you're watching him for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> so don't reduce your demands. You know, we don't realize how 
how um, our kids' behaviors change ours. You know, we always talk about how we do things consequence to behavior and then we change our kids' behaviors, but you realize that it works both ways. So because you're trying to avoid him throwing things in the bathroom, don't stop your behavior. He's basically punishing you. Every time you place a demand on him, he will throw something in the toilet. Yeah. So he's punishing you. And so the likelihood is that you have shied away from placing more demands. You're avoiding it now. We end up doing that with our kids. We walk on eggshells around certain topics, you know, because we know it'll upset them. Yeah. And so don't change your behavior. If you change your behavior, you, you've told him it worked. So keep placing demands. Just watch him and prevent him from, from doing that behavior right after you place a demand. Great advice. Okay, uh, this is a very open-ended question, um, but the, they wrote, my five-year-old son is having a lot of behavior issues in the classroom. What can I do to help reduce the behavior issue? Now, we don't know what the behavior is. So very open-ended, but maybe we can talk a little bit about when you're getting those notes from school, how do you proceed? Because I think a lot of parents feel helpless you know so he's doing something and we have an right. expectation well then you're this teacher is supposed to do something uh, we're, we're not allowed in the classroom a lot of the time um, but and yet we get the note your child is doing this at school so right. what can we do as parents well I mean that's a very difficult question to answer because I don't know the relationship with the school and I yeah. think the most important thing is we all have different relationships with our teachers and schools I you know when my do we have an age on the child five five so we're talking um, elementary obviously very young and so I, I think you know, it's such a difficult balancing act with teachers because you're not there and you're, you don't want to go in and like yell at the teacher and they take it out on your kid when you're not there, yeah, you know? So it really is a balancing act. I, I guess I was always very lucky. I changed schools for my kids just a couple of times, but I ultimately found schools where the, either the teachers were good or the principal was spectacular. Like I could always depend on the principal to, to understand things and to take my side, I guess, or to understand what was or wasn't good. And if a teacher went out of line, the, the principal, you could turn to that person. So I would probably just, if you have concerns about the teacher, then you should concern, you know, you should probably find someone in the school who's a senior and have a conversation if it really is just a matter of how do I communicate better with the teacher you know there's multiple ways I mean a lot of times teachers will stop sending you notes home if you call them every single day call them call her every day and say okay let's talk about this I need to know what happened how did it happen how do we do this plus the other thing is um, get some IBT training perhaps for the teacher I mean sometimes you're talking about very nice teachers who simply don't know what to do um, and maybe with some training it'll give them some guidance and we have modules this is the holidays coming up and you can easily purchase these modules I think they're like 750 or ten dollars or something each yes absolutely in fact uh, I'm not supposed to tell you but starting tomorrow we're gonna have some that we're gonna be giving away okay on the show. Great. yeah uh, and uh, and I was just on there last night looking at some because I'm gonna be giving a teacher um, for the holiday and there are some amazing very specific trainings just for teachers really about, good ones. Yeah, about like setting up them. a token economy how to deal with 
behaviors yeah. in the classroom and they break it down into different They're kinds. They're just spectacular. It's I'm so really proud amazing. of the gang for that stuff. I just looked at it. It's open on my second screen all the time uh -huh. now. And I just, I'm amazed. I mean, the number of trainings we've done now for teachers, actually, the educators section is the largest. It's huge. There's a lot of trainings there. It's awesome. At one of, and that's at ibehavioraltraining.com. And one of the things that I'm going to be talking about and that really struck me yesterday looking at it is uh, one of the, one, there's so many trainings. It's sort of like going to the ultimate gift shop. There's so many things you go, ooh, I'd like to do, ooh, I'd like to do that. But if nothing else, there is a training on, behavior um, success outside of the classroom dealing with emergency preparedness mm -hmm. I think it's it's either seven or ten dollars and even if you that was the only one you gave think mm -hmm. about the peace of mind knowing that your child your teacher is prepared in case of an emergency to deal with whatever might come up with your child and has the best strategy to have your child safe in an emergency right. we're doing ten dollars worth oh the peace of mind yeah we just started to do a whole bunch of these for first response there is mm. that's why there is that there now because we realize oh we need to do one for teachers too but uh, yeah so that's really important but I mean so just going back to this question yes. you know you're dealing with different aspects of it so you want to make sure your teacher is trained um, you want to make sure your teacher has access to you I would probably contact the teacher pretty regularly there's some parents have actually gone to the point of having a camera installed in the classroom because these days it's so easy and inexpensive to, to have a camera I have cameras all over my house and I can log on here at my desk and see them mm -hmm. so you know you can easily do that um, parents if the group of parents in the classroom all agree then you're sharing the cost of that and it's beautiful to be able to see your kids there's nothing against the law that's something that actually you can have it's just a matter of all the parents agreeing because now you're observing their kids as well yes um, and so those are other things I mean I know it's difficult a lot of um, but I, I honestly I think the main thing is try to stay in contact um, sometimes teachers are just I mean I, and in my family I have some teachers and I have to tell you that they just get frustrated because there are also parents who simply don't want to deal with anything yeah. they just want to drop their kids off and don't yeah. care yeah that's very prevalent so staying involved it's a great thing I, and I, I always love the idea of volunteering sometimes it's difficult to get time to come in and observe your child but if you volunteer they'll almost always let you come in and, and cut up paper and, and glue yeah. things yeah. and be there or do center time a very beneficial thing to do all right we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back more with your questions Questions for Dr. Doreen Grampuche. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We are here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche. She is a true expert in the field of autism, been treating children on the autism spectrum for multiple decades. I don't like to give away how long. I think it's rude because you don't you don't look your at what your age must be. Yeah. So uh, in any case, she. I also like to remind everybody that she's a visionary in the field of autism. You really have a far-reaching uh, ability to look ahead. Thanks. 
and see and get in place things that help our kids. So kind of goes hand in hand with a question that somebody just wrote in. Uh, Hello, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. Uh, This is more like a general information question for parents. Why is it that most ABA companies only focus on the behaviors aspect and do not consider teaching skills like CARD? I thought that insurance considered ABA payable because of the whole concept of teaching rather than just the behaviors. Could you please clarify this and thank you for your time? That's so awesome. I love this parent. I asked the same question. You know, the I we <clears throat> the field so first of all insurance is paying for ABA and they don't know what that is. Let's just put it that way. Like they really don't. So um they're going to pay for the beha- board certified behavior analyst if the, whether or not they're teaching. So the, the insur- I've been working with so many insurance companies now for so many years that I'm really trying to educate them on what ABA is. This was a big, big sudden swoop to insurance companies. They had no clue what's happening and it's all getting approved and funded and so on. They don't, they really don't, which is also why a lot of our denials are being denied by pediatricians, for instance, who are on panels that they don't know what ABA is, they don't understand, they expect the child to be done with ABA in six months. They, they have, there's a lot of education that still needs to go to insurance companies and, and talking about it here it makes me think I need to write something for them that's maybe more, well, our book. Our yeah. book's coming out soon, so it'll talk more about it. But uh, yeah, so going back, the the way ABA developed in the field was um, there was you know the the I guess I'll go all the way back to seventy eight and nineteen seventy eight or so there was very very limited amount of ABA anywhere in the country. In fact, it wasn't even called ABA; it was called behavior modification. And back then, we were still struggling with other things. We were, there was a group of people that said, "Oh, this is all about parenting." There was a lot of different things going on in in the 70s. In the in somewhere around 80s or so, and I was at UCLA, and it was really pretty much the only um, program in the country that was working with autism. Autism was very very low prevalence back then, very low. I mean, we had one in 10,000 kids max. We had one in 15 to one in 10,000 kids. So it was not something anybody knew anything about. And we're talking, what is this now, 2013? So it was like 45 years ago. Good Lord. I know. How is that possible? No, 35, 35 years ago. 35 years say. ago. 35 years yeah. ago, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so back then, that was just a time where people had no idea of what autism is, and so there wasn't much ABA. The, the Lovas um, ideology that came out of UCLA, and this was Professor Ivar Lovas, um, we were trained to teach more than anything else. We were trained on techniques that have to do with teaching. That's why Lovas became known as, became sort of correlated to the term discrete trial training. It's not really discrete trial training, but a lot, it's, you know, part of what we did with, with Lovas at, at UCLA was discrete trial. Uh, but we were experimenting really with different teaching techniques to see how they work best on kids with autism and, and all we had concluded if you look at the me book which was the first book that Ivar wrote about how to work with kids with autism you, and I used to use that book to teach um, undergrads but I mean I was an undergrad then myself but then later became a grad and I was teaching undergrads using the, those techniques and all it was ha- had to do with just techniques to get their attention 
techniques to keep instructions short, you know, th ways to prompt the child so that they would, so we were developing all this stuff. We were developing different prompts. You know, how do you, if I put an object in front of someone, they pay better, more attention to it. If I hold it up, they do. We literally would experiment, do research, publish it and write it in the book. Like mm. that was constantly happening for 12 years. And then we're talking, so that, that was just coming out of the Lovas camp. And then on the other side, there was all the behavioral stuff that had already been written by Skinner, V.F. Skinner. And Skinner, all of his work was accepted. Of course, it was like this whole field of psychology called learning psychology. And all of that, though, was not applied to autism. It was just applied to everything. Else. I mean, everything, but not specifically to autism. So... It was Ivar Lovas who was the first person to take those concepts of how to change behavior and apply them to autism. Now, because we were also developing teaching techniques and all these principles of behavior change were already in place, then you bring them together and now you have what really should be ABA and that's what CARD does. I was trained solely by um, Ivar, I met Skinner a few times, but mainly just by Ivar. Mm -hmm. And so... And then I developed a lot and learned a lot over the course of the years and added things to the card program and so on. But most behaviorists then, so then what happened is that like we did this whole program with UCLA and then there was only a few of us that left, that graduated from that program. So our, our, prog our thinking is quite different, but then we've been around, so I've been around for, you know, 35 years. So I've trained a ton of people. So if someone has worked at card, which you know, I, at least half the population out there providing services have at some point been at CARD. Right. And if they've stayed long enough to be more than just a junior therapist, they've learned all of it. They've learned how to design teaching programs and how to monitor behavior and modify behavior. But other than that, the field exploded and right. became ABA and then universities they were not teaching how, um, curriculum. They weren't teaching how to teach. They were teaching techniques that had mostly to do with behavior change, reducing challenging behaviors. So the field just hasn't developed, but God willing, within the next five or 10 years, we'll keep perfecting it and more and more behaviorists will learn how to teach because mm -hmm. that's so important. If you just you know try to... I think that's part of the reason that people are always asking for card centers in different states now because... If you just try to get rid of behavior, it's useless. Like the child is exhibiting challenging behaviors because they want something. Right. And unless you teach them a more appropriate way to, to get that, it's just going to keep coming back. Yeah, I, 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 one of the reasons why I'm always saying here to all of you, if you're looking for an ABA provider, that I encourage you to go to centerforautism.com first. See if there's a location close to you. Um, I always like to say there are many ABA providers out there, and there are many good ones. And a lot of them, as you said, have people that have at some point been trained uh, by you or by people at CARD. But uh, for me, I, I know I see lots of friends that have ABA providers that weren't card and the idea of I remember very early on the concept of and seeing a video that you did talking about decreasing some behaviors and increasing other behaviors and yeah. that's what we're going to do to catch your child up right and to it. me that 
was I went, oh, that I can understand, that I can get behind, that gives me infinite amounts of hope. Yeah, and that's all it is. I mean, that's all it is. But a lot of people aren't getting that. I mean, I I, I feel for this person who wrote in because a lot of people, I I see other parents and and they're not getting that level of focus and that level of hope. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that you can continue to spread what thank you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. We are actually, it's growing. It, for me, it's always been this challenge of growing it fast enough that I can meet some of the demand, but then not too fast to lose the quality. Yeah. But we are, we're expanding pretty fast and we have so much, you know, the more quality people you have in an organization, the faster they make it grow. Yes. And Card's really grown and we have an, an amazing group of quality, just incredible people here. So, yeah. I, you know, I always say I'm just the lucky one because I get to take all the credit for all these spectacular people out there, you know, that work at CARD, they're just amazing people. But the truth is, Shan, that <clears throat> that slide that you're talking about mm-hmm. is the single slide probably that I've had in my talks for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. I can't lose that slide because that slide really explains what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. But I do have to also say it would be remiss of me not to say that um, for those of you who are watching who think, oh, well, you know, clearly Dr. Grampuche knows what she's talking about. Um, you know, do all the other people who work for her do? My son wa- was getting therapy from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders for three and a half years before I ever met Dr. Grampuche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, right, I, right. I, you know, people used to talk about you to me, and I saw the videos and I was like, okay, I love the fact that she made this building, but. You know, where is she? Here, is she what does she well, do? I, you know, it didn't mean as much to me at that time because we had people Absolutely. who were helping us. Yes. That I was like, well, these are the incredible people. And somebody pointed out to me, look at how many incredible, incredible people. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah. And then I had a drive to want to, to want to meet you and to get know, to know more about you. And and I saw clearly after a period of time because it's not a coincidence that there are so many rock star therapists at CARD. It comes from you at, to the training department and it's a killer training department because they we do We have a, a killer training department, we really do. Uh, Honestly, they're, they're amazing, yeah, they really are. They yeah. truly are. But, ha- you know, but uh, it, it really just comes from being able to, pra- you know, we practice, we say all the time to people, like we're trying to teach our kids, it's so funny. We're constantly talking about teaching our kids perspective taking and then there are so many people that don't know how to take someone else's perspective just in general life and i think the success of card comes from that one principle that's the number one thing i teach my staff supervisors and then hopefully supervisors are teaching further down is just take a moment to live in this person's shoes whether it's the parent or the child or the therapist you're overseeing whatever it is just take a moment and see the world from their side and understand the fears of the parents understand how the child sees the world you know that's like the biggest thing is if you want to help this child you got to see the world from their perspective and then then it works I would just say to people if you're watching and you're getting ABA and a lot of times people write in and say I'm getting it now I've got it through the insurance I just don't know if it's quality ABA if you don't have in your home or in your program what we were just talking about that somebody is taking your perspective taking your child's perspective then <coughs> then consider switching yeah, uh, yeah. because yeah, sure. uh, you're, I mean, otherwise you're, you're spinning your wheels and not getting the full effect of what you could be getting absolutely I mean it's the same with anything if you really think about it why do we change let's say our 
dentist because they don't care about the things that you care about, yeah. you know, or they care about things you don't care about, whatever it is, yeah. they don't take your perspective. So you're always looking for someone who has that, it's just they have a certain knowledge, but they need to have the empathy and the understanding of the things yeah. that are important to you and how you process the world. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, that's, that's key, that's very important, but also, I can understand the the frustration of parents because there are young guys out there, really young, just got their their master's degree and now are supposed to be telling you what to do. You know, it's hard. It's very, oh. very hard. And there's a lot of supervisors who've never had a child. Yeah. And I try to really teach them a lot how to empathize and understand. and. There's no way you can understand. I can't even. I mean, I've been in, I've been with parents for a long, long time, you know, and I've wor lived the life of autism for a long, long time, and I've seen more sadness than any single parent would have ever seen. But you know, and I still come after 30 years. I will still leave clinics sometimes, just crying and like thinking to myself, "Oh my God, how do they handle this?" Yeah. But you never know until it's your experience. You just don't. Yes, we all know that. Yeah. But I do, I can say, you know, you talk about the, the young just has a master's degree going to help you with your child. That happens on so many occasions yes. that, you know, the people who came through our door and made a difference were people who were in the process of getting their master's degree or just got their bachelor's degree. And some of them even were working for their bachelor's yeah. and they changed our lives. When yeah. you've got a rock star who's sure. trained well, uh, you know, no, they're, I'm that matters. It's a, their dedication they matters. Their their continual plugging along and absolutely diligence and dedication and caring and that's like one of the things I really love about our staff. They love the kids. And so our, our good, uh, we, we love Mike Kippel who watches the show on a regular basis. He wants to know, is he still living? I'm assuming that you mean Lovas. No, he uh, passed away. It's like two years ago, no, isn't it? I think it? it was longer than that. I'm trying to remember the year. No, I, it was definitely longer we, than that. We covered it on the show. So it's sometime yeah. since we started yeah. um, the day that be, he passed away. And I'm going with... You know, sort of Could when I met too. Greg already, he was best. <laughs> I would say it was before 2010. Okay. Uh, okay. It was before, two, I think maybe 2000, yeah, maybe 2010, around there. Maybe okay. three years ago or so. Yeah. So, uh, yes, unfortunately, he is, is no longer with us. And so what, you know, but notable to say that Dr. Grandpichet was a part of all of that that was happening with Lovas. You were a part of that young autism experiment that where we got all of this the beginning of everything good that's happened. Yeah, uh, that you I was with Ivar for 12 years. Really so, long time, yeah. Um, really important to note. We are going to take a quick break and come back with some more of your questions. We're going to talk about poop. Yes, okay. we're going to go there. So <laughs> stick with us. Welcome back to uh, Autism Live. And this particular segment we call Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampache is here with us live answering your questions. She is, as we were talking about before, an expert in the field of autism, having been working with children for multiple decades. And uh, we've got it. I said we were going to talk about poop, so be prepared. Um, put that sandwich down. Uh, here we go. My eight-year-old son recently began playing with his poop and even tasting it. This is a story we've heard before. Uh, it is freaking me out. He has never done anything like this before. Why now and how do I get him to stop? You know, there's, I guess it's easy to answer this. So 
the reason that well, first of all, there could be a medical reason why he, he could potentially have some sort of uh, shortage of something that he's doing this behavior. Um, you should probably have him tested, just get a blood test and make sure there's no, um, you know, low levels of any kind of nutrient. Um, this does happen with some of our kids. Like you will also see kids, for instance, eating chalk or mm -hmm. uh, various other things, and actually their their body is craving some sort of nutrient. Um, with poop, it could be curiosity. It could be a sensory need because it has a certain texture, a certain smell, whatever. It's funny. The word. This is a really interesting thing that I know because I'm so old in this field but see I always talk about self-stimulatory behavior and I talk about how I think it shouldn't have been called self-stimulatory should have been called self-soothing or calming because a lot of the self-stimulatory behaviors are actually for the purposes of calming like body rocking actually calms you and so on lining up actually reduces your anxiety and all that sort of thing but the um, um, in the old, old days, in the 70s and early 80s, we, we had different types of self-stimulatory behaviors. Yes, we had the body rocking, but we had things where really, like a lot of the kids were kind of very lethargic and they would do certain things to stimulate themselves. Okay. And there was a, 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 quite a period of time, like maybe five years or 10 years, where all the literature pointed to the the concept that the children have very um, high um, sensory thresholds, so pain they don't feel very well, um, heat, cold, you know, just certain feelings, textures they don't, which is why they seek those out in order to stimulate themselves, so self stimulatory they would like to try to kind of wake themselves up mm -hmm. um, and they would do various types of things like uh, you know now I think a lot of the kids when they touch textures it's calming them but those that, like pain for sure was one of the things self-injurious behavior the whole concept of self-injurious behavior is still explained by um, the child can't feel pain so they actually produce injury because you have to pass a certain threshold in order to feel it mm -hmm. and so with things like this I often wonder if the sense of smell and taste and so on which to us is just over the top and it's mm -hmm. uh, so difficult with a child with autism perhaps is not perhaps it's, it just enters their threshold of what they can receive from a sensory perspective I don't know but I mean the clearly it's not good for them so if there is a nutritional imbalance that needs to be balanced you need to do that you need to find out what that is and then quite honestly I mean it's a behavior you want to reduce what are the ways you reduce behavior you change the antecedent or you change the consequence what are some of the antecedents you can change don't give access you prevent access you make sure and this is very hard because we're not watching our kids 24 7 obviously so somehow you know but please do do all the things you can do like lock the, the bathroom doors lock you know put locks on the toilets um, perhaps this child is in diapers, which is why they're accessing it. Change them frequently. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then on the other end, when the behavior happens, you have to either take away a reward or you have to produce a punishing type experience. So, uh, you know, one of the things is overcorrection. Overcorrection is having the child, uh, perhaps in this case, you would have the child like, I can't answer, I don't know how it's happening. I don't know right. if the child is in a diaper. I don't know, because if, let's say they're in a diaper and they're pulling it out of the diaper, then you would have the child, let's say, take the diaper, throw it away, wash their hands repeatedly, sort of an overcorrection procedure, which is somewhat not fun, so it's not kind of worth the effort. Right. Um, but mainly, it's something that is not fun or pleasant has to follow the behavior so that the child... Uh, you know, avoids the behavior because every time they do it, they get some sort of aversive right after. Okay, let's assume that it's an older child because it's they're eight years old. What if it's not in a diaper? Because the one thing that she said was this is nothing like this has ever happened before. True. So what if it isn't somebody who's in a diaper? What if they're just using the toilet? So it's always the same thing. You try to block access. So regardless of what, you know, it's easier, obviously, if they're not in a diaper because then how are they accessing it? So okay. They have to be able to... So Follow them in the bathroom? Yeah, and it, you're assuming it's in the bathroom. It could also be in a closet, right? It right. could be anywhere. Right. So the thing is, you will try to block. Okay. So you will, for instance, make sure here's a way you can block. You can put the child, I don't know the age of the child, but if it's right. appropriate, you would put them in this clothing. One is eight. Uh -huh. eight years old. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you want to put them in overalls. Okay. Things that are harder to open. Okay. Right? So that if, if they are. Um, let's say having a bowel movement outside of their clothes. If they're having a bowel movement inside their clothes, maybe um, you want to actually just be able to have clothing that's easier to come off so that they are not having it in their clothes. Okay. They're all, this is kind of a complicated way to answer, but it's right. always try to prevent the behavior from happening. Mm -hmm. And if it happens, then make sure you're not rewarding it. In fact, you should be taking away rewards. But a lot of kids, don't understand response costs unless your child's high functioning enough. Right. And if they do, if he does understand take the whole concept of losing something when I do this behavior, then you're all set. Because then he just has to lose something every time he t does this behavior. And then you can turn it into a token system and, you know, it's a gradual intervention fade so it doesn't become that heavy. But the concept is always the same. You prevent the behavior as much as you can, and if it occurs, you will want to, you know, not reward it. So you'll want to either punish it or take an object away, which is sort of a form of punishment or, you know, response cost. And meanwhile, find, you know, if it's a sensory need that provoked it to begin with, give him other sensory activities. Okay. Right? So, like, finger painting or okay. whatever it is or you know have him when he doesn't do it for periods of time um perhaps you have something like give him chewing gum or stuff that was a taste activity this is the thing shannon was you have to understand you, you, this is why a behaviorist always has to figure out the reason yeah so if this child is doing it because they have a sensory textural sensory need then you need to replace that if they're doing it because they enjoy the odor or the sense in their mouth then you have to replace that so you have to replace it with things that have a similar satisfactory type thing um, and you can just think of anything you know smelling perfumes or chewing gum or whatever it might be 
um, if they are doing it simply because they have a nutritional deficiency, you have to replace that, okay. right? If they're doing it to get your attention or out of curiosity, you got to replace that, you know, give them other things that they can get your attention from. So in the best possible world, have your child have a blood test done to make sure that they're not low in anything and maybe ask your AB provider do to do an FBA. FBA. Exactly. Okay. Have a functional ass assessment done to figure out why the child's doing it. Okay. Maybe you're a parent that can really figure that out on your own. Then make sure you're replacing that and rewarding the more appropriate replacement behavior. Yeah. And blocking this. Yeah. Because unless you block this, it'll just keep going. I'm, I'm struck by, you know, she says, I'm freaking out. And I, I think that a lot of times when these kinds of behaviors suddenly crop up, uh, that there is an emotional component for the parent. Oh, it's like, no oh question. my gosh, no what is question. this? And it's disgusting. And, uh, you know, but, we, no but it, what, what I'm really hearing is you still go back to the same equation right. of make sure there's nothing else going on. Right, right, right. And then find and out what the function is and then you can deal with That's it from right. there. And here's, here's, by the way, a good aversive, mm -hmm. okay? If you should not catch it and if it should happen, make sure that you brush your child's teeth with some extremely strong mouthwash. Okay. Your child's not gonna like that. You're gonna be using something that's gonna produce disinfection, which is important. Right. And it'll function as an aversive. Okay. It's just that simple. Okay. Like, you know, kids will, it's, this is the whole concept of, you know, you say bad words, I wash out your mouth with soap, right? <laughs> right, and, right? But in this case, you really do need a disinfectant. Right. And so use something that's pretty intense, like Listerine. You right. Know, is it Listerine, the ones that are horrible? The, the Some of those taste good now. So not make sure the you minty don't get, ones, not, but yes. the, the really strong ones. That one that's yellow. Yeah, that, that that's one, what I'm thinking about. Sipacol, uh, I want to say, or something Sipacol, like that. Sipacol, those are really strong, right. And you actually do need to do that just for the safety, health and safety yeah. of your child. Um, and I guarantee you, if your child, if you do it fast enough, your it's child kind of, will connect yeah. it to, to he'll, your child will know, oh my God, you know, every yeah. time I do this, I'm getting this disgusting stuff to wash out my mouth. They won't yeah. do it again. And it's kind of a... As Shannon said, as you said, Shannon, this has does have it, a lot of it is just psychological, um, you know, and it bothers you because of that. Don't look at it that way. Just look at it as uh, our kids do things because they're not embarrassed. Um, they just do what their body needs or yeah. what they, you know, what they get a reaction for. Sure. Oops. All right. We, uh, question about, and I want to bring this up only because we want to talk about the anxiety show coming up, but somebody wants to know, does puberty have a role in anxiety because of hormones? And yes. again, I want to remind everybody that uh, two weeks from today, that Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving on the 27th of November, uh, you've been asking for it. Dr. Grampache has agreed to do it an entire hour on anxiety. The Wednesday before, it's, yeah. Yep, right. since that Wednesday the 27th during Ask Dr. Doreen, she'll be talking with us about anxiety. You'll have an opportunity to ask questions. We're going to devote the whole hour because we want to be thankful for peace, right? Yes. Uh, and, <laughs> right? So, uh, so having said that, uh, puberty, does it have a role in anxiety because of the hormones? Yes. The, the short answer is no question about it. I see, you see that also in typically developing kids. 
You see that in women with menopause. Thank I you. Mean, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I mean, a hormone change will cause um, anxiety because you are experiencing things that you just don't, you're not comfortable with or familiar with. And especially if you have like a, you know, a shift in estrogen, then you are actually going to experience anxiety on its own. If you have testosterone, boys, aggression often is similar in anxiety. Like you have a similar feeling when you're very upset or angry or hyped up your transmitters are running high dopamine and all of that and then you will it'll be similar to anxiety so yeah you will see puberty affecting anxiety for sure but you also with typically developing people by the time you hit puberty you have other what we call defense mechanisms or ways to uh, you know cover yourself or protect yourself so that you're not as anxious habits mm -hmm. that's why that's why teens start a lot of teens start to do things like drugs and smoking and, and smoking and all these other things because they're seeking out ways to kind of have less anxiety that's why peer pressure because yeah. once you feel part of a peer group you have less anxiety all of that but, you know, and then there's healthy ways to control that as well, which is some of the stuff we're going to talk about in two weeks. Well, which we will look forward to. And if you have questions about anxiety, you can start sending them now. I'll put them in a file so we can have them specifically for that show. We're almost out of time. Um, so I just wanted to take a second and let people know that you have, I can't get it to come up on my, my screen for whatever reason, but you have an event that's coming up in Florida that you're going to be speaking. I believe it's on the 5th of December. Does that sound right? Or is it the 4th? Do you Gosh, know? No, I you think it's the fifth. I'm not sure. I just go and speak where they tell me to, but I think it's, yes. the fifth. it's uh, that Thursday. And if you go to centerforautism.com on the front page, I just can't get it to come up right now right. on my device. I have gremlins. Um, you can register right. for that event, and it's important that you register RSVP. It's in Fort Myers. Okay. And um, I think. I'm not sure the length of the, the thing, but I think we're reviewing the card program and um, it'll be a pretty small group because we do this usually when we want to open a location and we really want to open a location right now in the Fort Myers area. But uh, and so I will be there speaking. I'd be happy to, you know, help advise parents who come and um, hear the talks as well. If you're in that area, it's a great opportunity to meet Dr. Grandpache, and so we encourage you to RSVP for that. And also in the news today, there is a press release about CARD helping uh, older kids. And right. so I wanted to give you just a couple of seconds to talk about that came out uh, today. So many of you people uh, will ask about what about programs for our kids that are a little bit older. You've always been helping uh, our teenagers and young adults. Right. On we've had a lot of back and forth with this. We've done a lot of work with adults for many years, but we've really done a big initiative in the recent years. And we're very focused on kind of teaching our um, adolescents just you know daily living skills and so on, but then also preparing them for jobs. So we've, we've really gone into leisure, self-help, daily living, but now mainly a lot of vocational because you know, we want to make sure our kids end up doing things that are functional and have a place to... My dream, I always say this, and I keep saying it because I believe ultimately it'll come true, is some sort of a community, you know, where where we can have our kids learn vocational skills and live there and also work there and have all sorts of things in the community for them. Um, this is kind of timely given your next guest, I was right? just going to say it all dovetails right. well together. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of vocational stuff with, with our adults now and it's an important thing for us and you know we hope to just 
be able to reach more and more adults and be able to help them.